Welcome to As Luck Would Have It. My name is Abby and I am the admin and comms worker here at Lighthouse Uniting. We are a church based on Gadigal and Wongal land in Sydney, Australia. You'll find us at Lighthouse Uniting Church-LUC on Facebook. Sermons are on YouTube under the same name. You can find more information about our church and our team at lighthouseuniting.org.au. In this episode of As Luck Would Have It, James Barrow is preaching a sermon from Luke 17, 11 to 19, titled Grace and Gratitude, Gratitude and Grace. This is the first episode of Season 9 of As Luck Would Have It, called From Luck to Luck, The Gospel as Proclaimed by Luck Members. You'll hear these sermons on the podcast over the next seven weeks. I will be providing the reading ahead of James's sermon. This is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 to 19, from the New Revised Standard Version. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way, your faith has made you well. Thus ends the reading. Please enjoy the following sermon. The reading today opens with a reminder of where Jesus' ministry is heading. On the way to Jerusalem. On the way to Jerusalem. Now we know what happens there. In fact, this is the third time in Luke we're told about Jesus' path towards Jerusalem. First, at chapter 9, verse 51, Luke says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Later, after sending messages out through Galilee, Jesus is turned away from a town along the way because his face was already set towards Jerusalem. Remember this town? We'll come back to it in a sec. The second instance is at chapter 13, verse 31. In the text, it's titled, The Lament Over Jerusalem. The Pharisees, the religious authorities, come to Jesus and say, Get away from here. Herod is coming to kill you. And Jesus responds, Tell that fox for me. I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow. But I must be on my way on the third day because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jesus continues, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Oh, a bit of foreboding then at the start of this passage. So, on the way to Jerusalem, there Jesus passes through the region between Samaria and Galilee. Galilee sits above Samaria, and in fact, Nazareth, the town where Jesus was born, is pretty close to the border. We know the Samaritans were enemies of the Israelites, descendants from the tribes not taken into the captivity by Babylon. In the eyes of the Israelites at the time, the Samaritans worshipped God in the wrong way. They were unclean, they were foreigners, 
They were strangers. They were outsiders. This is the third time we get a mention of Samaritans in the Gospel of Luke. That village that I asked you to remember earlier, that, that, that's a village that turned away Jesus. It was a Samaritan town. The disciples, James and John, in this story, are quick to suggest to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I feel like this is a typical instance of disciples just not getting it. Um, Jesus, I can just imagine him kind of turning and saying, what? What? Uh, Luke tells us Jesus rebukes the disciples. Sadly, we don't get what words he used. Um, But this instance does make me wonder if James and John would be so quick to call down fire and brimstone if that was a village of Israelites and not a village of Samaritans, of outsiders, of foreigners. The second time in Luke that we get a reference to a Samaritan is the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, I think a lot of us are pretty familiar with this parable. It's a response to the upright lawyer who tests Jesus by asking him, who is my neighbour? And as the parable goes on, it's not the priests or the Levites that were the neighbours to the man beaten on the road to Jericho, but it's the one who showed him mercy. The Samaritan. The Samaritan? Yes, the Samaritan. The one who showed grace and mercy was the neighbour. Jesus says, go and do likewise. So, on the way to Jerusalem, in the borderlands between Galilee and Samaria, Jesus enters a village with no name, and on the outskirts of town, ten lepers approach him and keep their distance. This is not the first time uh, Jesus heals a leper in the Gospel of Luke. Way back in chapter 5, just after he's called his first disciples, Jesus is approached by a leper who bows down at his feet and says, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. Jesus touches him and immediately he is healed. But then Jesus orders him, tell no one, go to the priest as the law commands and make an offering. Go to the priest as the law commands and make an offering. So I want to pause here, just for a moment, to unpack some ideas about leprosy in the Bible. The general consensus from scholars and dermatologists uh, today is that leprosy in the Bible is not the same condition as leprosy, the condition that we know it as today. The law in Leviticus explains a number of skin and hair conditions which were considered leprosy. Now, in this, we must remember that this is a time before the scientific method, germ theory, pharmaceuticals. But, as we're probably all aware after the last couple of years, infection, plague, disease are still very real concerns for human communities. But there's a spiritual dimension to this too. According to the law, the marks on your skin make you not just physically unclean, but spiritually, ritually unclean. It was understood by the communities at the time that your affliction was a result of God's punishment or displeasure. Now, as an aside, um, buildings and clothing could also be afflicted by leprosy as well. I dare say many of us, after the last few months, might have leprous ceilings in the bathroom. I know mine is. (laughs) Uh, But leprosy at the time of the Gospel in the Old Testament is contagious, but it's also a result of sin. Your sin, your 
uncleanliness, your lack of faith, your falling out with God caused this affliction to you. Therefore, you must be put aside from the community, lest this infection, lest your sin affects us all. As Jesus commands the lepers in the story, go to the priests, the priests are the ones who could declare one clean and cured. Leviticus contains a number of rules about what sacrifices and rituals need to be followed and conducted in order for someone to be declared cleansed. There's a proper law, there's a proper procedure that needs to be followed. Needless to say, leprosy made one an outsider. Now, although I just said leprosy in the Bible is not the same as leprosy today, something that both conditions or something that modern and biblical sufferers would have in common is that depression, loneliness, anxiety, and other mental health conditions are as inescapable as the physical conditions in its sufferers because of the very lack of community support, social isolation, poverty, and stigma attached to the condition. So, we come to these 10 lepers. They're obeying the law. They've formed a separate community on the outskirts of town. They are keeping their distance. We are told throughout Luke that news is getting around about this guy Jesus and he's doing some serious healing. These 10, they see Jesus, they recognize him and they cry out, Jesus, have mercy. Jesus, master, have mercy. Jesus sees them, but unlike the leper in chapter 5, he doesn't cure them instantly. Instead, he commands them, go show yourselves to the priests, follow the law. And it's as they went that they were made clean. As they went, as they obeyed, as they followed Jesus' command, that they were made clean. There is something a little uncomfortable about this for me. Is this something where Jesus is testing these lepers? Jesus, have mercy on us. Go show yourself to the priest. I sit somewhat uncomfortably with this interaction. But then again, Jesus would have known full well that the condition of leprosy in the eyes of the community could only be removed from a person by the priest. They were the ones who the law and the community empowered to declare someone clean. Indeed, Earlier, the leper in chapter 5, Jesus specifically commands the leper to go to the priest and do the offering required. Jesus commands the law. But one, an outsider of outsiders, you guessed it, the Samaritan, turns back to Jesus, throws himself down at his feet and thanks God. Now remember, this guy isn't technically clean yet. As a Samaritan, it's also doubtful whether the priest would deign to see him. But he's also just breaking the command that Jesus gave him. Jesus said, go to the priest. He's turned around and said, no, I'm not going to the priest, I'm going back to you. Jesus, in the face of this overflowing gratitude, though, looks about. Where are the other nine? Were none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, this stranger, this outsider? Then he says, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Some of the commentaries suggest that this phrase, your faith has made you well, has caused immense human suffering throughout history. I think I tend to agree. 
I do not think that this is a story about faith overcoming disease. This is not a story about faith overcoming disease. (laughs) I think that falls into the very trap of thinking that God causes disease and that it's some spiritual failing on someone if they suffer disease or ill health or bad fortune. That if only I was more faithful, if only I prayed harder, if only I prayed it and I meant it, if I was less sinful, if I had more faith, if, 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 then me or my loved ones would be made whole, would be made well. But friends, no, that is not the story. That is not the story. Instead, this story is in line with what Jesus is getting at throughout the Gospels as he explains time and again to these disciples that just don't seem to get it through his actions of grace and mercy, through stories of healing, prophetic words. This is a story instead about our response to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about grace over and above the law. The kingdom of God is grace which lays upon us a claim of gratitude, a claim of discipleship. Now, thank God all ten are healed. Perhaps they're ungrateful, perhaps that's their sin, but nevertheless, they're healed, they go on their way. But the story here is that they haven't heeded that call for gratitude. It's the Samaritan, the outsider, the stranger, the one who is overcome with gratefulness and gratitude, who turns back to Jesus, throws himself down at his feet in overflowing gratitude. That is an image of our response to the kingdom of God. Sometimes it does take someone on the outside or stranger to remind us to be thankful and to see things with fresh eyes. It's church council time. Hard pivot, I know, stay with me. We've got the AGM coming up. You may have been tapped on the shoulder to sit on a committee or put your nomination in or do some other part of church service. I think it's sometimes easy to get caught up in the everyday of church, the practical, the business, the keeping the lights on, being on a committee, thinking about budgets, volunteering, the roster, cleanup, music team, another working bee. I won't deny that... For me, sometimes church can feel like a chore. As someone who has been around for a while, I'm guilty of sometimes forgetting how special this community is and to take it for granted, to assume that it'll always be here, that somebody else will pick up the slack. And yet I'm humbly reminded by guests, new members, who have said that finding luck was like a lifeline for them to come to a place where their sexuality or gender expression didn't have to be hidden or willfully ignored or tolerated, but fully accepted as part of who they are. A place that takes seriously the call of the gospel on our lives. A place that takes seriously the call to seek out justice. So it's through that stranger's gratitude that I'm reminded of this and that in that remembering, receive a small part of grace myself. So, in struggling with this passage over the last couple of weeks, um, I keep coming back to these two ideas of gratitude and grace. Our response is like gratitude, like a cup overflowing for the smallest things from God, from life and breath, for community, for images of grace. But this does not come without a call to show gratitude with our whole lives. 
to turn back and throw ourselves at Jesus' feet to find action in a life of discipleship, whatever form that might take. The question for us in our discipleship is how do we follow up this gratitude in our lives to share this grace and gratitude with the whole world? The kingdom of God is grace over and above the words of the law. This grace lays upon us a claim of gratitude and discipleship for the whole of our lives. The kingdom of God is grace over and above the words of the law. This grace lays a claim upon us of gratitude and discipleship within the whole of our lives. Now, I wouldn't be a proper luck preacher if I didn't throw in a reference to Karl Barth before I finish. So, theologian Karl Barth talks about it this way. He says, Grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice and echo. Gratitude follows grace like thunder, lightning. Radically and basically, all sin is simply ingratitude. Grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice and echo. Gratitude follows grace like thunder, lightning. Radically and basically, all sin is simply ingratitude. To show gratitude with our lives, to turn back and throw ourselves at Jesus' feet, to find action in a life of discipleship, whatever form that may take, that is the call. The question for our discipleship is how do we follow up this gratitude in our lives so we can share this grace and our gratitude with the whole world. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of As Luck Would Have It, proudly presented by Leichhardt Uniting Church. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe and feel free to leave a rating or review. And you can also visit our website and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Have a great day.